Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 250 tonight. And not only are we at a nice, beautiful, even number, 250 episodes now we have done of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Um, and I think everybody is agreed that it's simply amazing how far we've gotten into the book in only 250 sessions. However, um, in addition to the fact that it is our... 250th session tonight. Today is also January 3rd, 2023. i got to remember the year. Um, which means it is exactly the sixth anniversary of the beginning of Exploring the War of the Rings, whose first session was on January 3rd, 2017. So we have now been uh, studying the Fellowship of the Ring together for six years. And, uh, I, you know, just a few more left, and uh, we'll be we'll be we'll be right through it there. Um, but in addition, not only is it the sixth anniversary of our discussion, but also it is Tolkien's birthday, January third. And not only is it Tolkien's birthday, but it's Tolkien's one hundred and thirty-first birthday today. Which means that today. Tolkien would have passed the old Took, uh, just like Bilbo did, and he has now equaled in age uh, to uh, Bilbo himself the the uh, the most aged Hobbit. It's kind of a little bit strange, you know, competing for like who can get oldest uh, and stuff. But in any case, Tolkien is 131 today. Uh, and uh, equals Bilbo uh, in the uh, in the Annals of the Shires. So there we go. Yes, it's that. Um, I believe it is the same age that he sailed west because uh, I believe that it was um, it was um, the uh, uh, it was on route to the Great Havens when um, uh, when Bilbo mentioned it. So. Yeah, yeah. I know it's kind of cheating once you're dead, <laughs> Josh. You kind of stop keeping track. It can't really win the how long did they live competition after you died, technically. But today, uh, he certainly would have, uh, <laughs> at the age of 131, um, uh, passed. But anyhow, here we are. So on Tolkien, Tolkien's 131st birthday, we celebrate Tolkien's birthday as we celebrated it six years ago by having a really fun discussion of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I, I'm so good to have you all with me. It's been uh, just wonderful. Both those of you who have been um, with me for six years. There are many of you who have been attending regularly uh, ever since the beginning, and I, I, I remember uh, you guys having been been with us from the start. There are many others of you who have valiantly caught up uh, uh, in uh, to, uh, to 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 live here and um, uh, are now joining us live. Um, you know, having uh, uh, having gone through the entire backlog in a in an admirable amount of time uh and it is good to have both old and new friends with us here today uh on this our sixth anniversary six years of discussion and of course just the first six of 
really a functionally indefinite uh, period of time that I hope to be studying the Lord of the Rings with you guys. Um, I, I sometimes laugh. This class makes me laugh thinking back to, I used to get this question very seriously from people um, in like the first couple years after I started my podcast. And they used to say to me, what are you going to do when you finish? I mean, like Tolkien didn't write that many things, you know. So sooner or later, you know, you're doing this podcast, but sooner or later you're going to run out of Tolkien things to talk about, aren't you? And then what are you going to do? Are you just going to retire, you know, your podcast and do something else or whatever? Um, <laughs> I'm just, I, uh, I didn't know, of course, exactly what was going to happen. Um, uh, uh, you know, back uh, when I when you know, back in those days, of course, I'm talking about like back in 2010 and stuff. People were saying this to me. Um, but um, but yeah, in retrospect, those questions sound really funny, as certainly now the only question is how many of us are going to live long enough to get all the way through the Grey Havens. Uh, in our exploring the Lord of the Rings discussions. So, um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but so yeah. So welcome to all the new folks, and um, uh, and I hope that uh, you uh, will uh, will enjoy and stay with us on this um, long but fascinating journey through the Lord of the Rings that we are undertaking here together. Um, okay, so. Last, um, <laughs> yeah, Praise Moyer's grandbaby will be here for the ending. Probably so. Probably so. Um, but yes, we, we, we can, of course. I know it's a tradition started a long time ago. Toast to the professor. Uh, happy birthday to Tolkien tonight. Of course, we don't want to get so lost in our own anniversary that we forget about that. Um, it is, uh, I mean, of course... I always feel that the sort of the days of special celebration, you know, for Tolkien, I always, um, I don't know, for me, uh, for me, it's I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm celebrating Tolkien all the time. I'm happy, of course, to stop and reflect on Tolkien, but I often do. Uh, in, in any case, uh, certainly, uh, you know, raising, uh, raising, raising my mug here uh, uh, to the professor this evening. Yeah, Drowsnick, exactly. Uh, uh, to me, it is almost like celebrating National Breathing Day. Um, yeah, exactly. Every every week, or, you know, the, the the one that really gets me is when people are like, what are you doing for Tolkien Reading Week? And I'm like, same thing I do every other week. <laughs> but it's all, it's all good. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, the last thing I wanted to, uh, just before we get uh, get back into the text, um, we do have the first of our spring moots coming up. So it is almost time for Ozmoot in Australia. We are in January 2023 right now, and this month we'll see our first ever moot in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I'm going down to Australia at the end of the month. It will mean missing a couple weeks, by the way, because I'm actually flying out on a Tuesday. Um uh, and then I'm landing, I think it might be a Tuesday when I land, but honestly, I'm not really sure what day of the week it's going to be when I land. Uh, it'll be my first trip across the Dateline and back, so it's going to be strange. But in any case, um, I think I will miss the last two Tuesdays of, uh, of January. However, 
um, uh, we're going to be, uh, so I'm going to be down in Australia. We're going to have a, an awesome time down there. I hope that many of you will be able to join us because, of course, even if you cannot make it down to Brisbane, Australia, um, in that uh, last weekend of January, uh, I hope that you'll be able to join us remotely. There's going to be a whole bunch of really wonderful presentations, uh, and uh, I believe the schedule is either posted or it will be posted very soon. Um, and um, and you can you can join us. But most importantly, since it is true that uh, the events that are going to be held at uh, times which will be quite reasonable locally may be less than 100 percent reasonable for different people in different time zones um, as they are translated. Um, we are, uh, uh, of course, everybody who signs up for digital attendance at the Moot will get access to a recording of all the things that we do uh, so that you can watch it at a time when you are, you know, awake. Um, but, um, but yeah, the program does look awesome. It's going to be, it's going to be great fun. Um, so uh, anyhow. That is that is the th next thing that is happening. We have a bunch of other exciting moots that are going to be that are that are either have been announced or are in the final stages. I know that Sunshine Moot is already open for registration. That's going to be in March. Uh, uh, Tex Moot is um, uh, moving forward. I believe in San Antonio this year, so we're gonna um, uh, we're gonna be back in Texas again, probably a little bit later than usual, maybe April uh, this year uh, is the latest date that I have seen. Um, we're gonna be doing um, what else are we gonna be doing? Oh yeah, uh, Maple Moot looks like it's it, it sounds like it might happen this year uh, up in Toronto. So we're we're gonna have our first. Um, our first Canadian moot, which we've been uh, we've been we've been working towards. So those neither of those two are totally finalized yet, but those look like they are uh, they are in progress. We're definitely planning Buckeye moot again, Doctor Benway. Um, not quite sure when exactly. I haven't settled on the date for that. We did that in July this past year, and we may again do it in uh, uh, sort of the mid or late summer. Also, the Pacific North Northwest is in the works. Yes, we've been. Um, Kind of going back and forth between uh, Portland and Seattle to sort of see where we're going to begin. We we will probably end up alternating is pro I think the plan there. Um, we'd like to do a Pacific Northwest moot um, every year and then may maybe alternate between Seattle and Portland. So so we'll see, we'll see. But lots of uh, lots of really fun opportunities uh, for moots for getting together. It's always such a delight uh, to get to meet folks um, and uh, spend a day. Uh, with your tribe, just kind of uh, enjoying the sort of geekery that none of the rest of your friends and family really understand in many cases. At least I know that's the experience of many people um, who, uh, who, who, who come to Moots. So um, anyway, so we are, we're still, we're working on a, a lot of things. Exactly. Musical says steeping in coolness. It is true. That is just exactly what a Moot uh, what a local moot is like. Um, uh, there we go. Um, anyhow, okay, so let us jump back into the text here. So um, I know this is the passage we talked about last time, um, but I, it's every, anytime we skip a week, uh, I, I always I just kind of want to build back up to it again. So I want to read that last paragraph especially again, and because the we're, we're going to get right to the dialogue this time and the the company's responses uh, to this situation. Uh, and so I want to make sure that we are remembering exactly uh, what they're responding to there. The company halted suddenly 
as if they had come to an agreement without any words being spoken. They heard eerie noises in the darkness round them. It may have been only a trick of the wind in the cracks and gullies of the rocky wall, but the sounds were those of shrill cries and wild howls of laughter. Stones began to fall from the mountainside, whistling over their heads or crashing on the path beside them. Every now and again they heard a dull rumble as a great boulder rolled down from hidden heights above. Okay, then... We cannot go further tonight, said Boromir. Let those call it the wind who will. There are fell voices on the air, and these stones are aimed at us. I do call it the wind, said Aragorn, but that does not make what you say untrue. There are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have little love for those that go on two legs, and yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Some have been in this world longer than he. Carathros was called the Cruel, and had an ill name, said Gimli, long years ago, when rumor of Sauron had not been heard in these lands. It matters little who is the enemy if we cannot beat off his attack, said Gandalf. But what can we do? cried Pippin miserably. He was leaning on Merry and Frodo, and he was shivering. Either stop where we are, or go back, said Gandalf. It is no good going on. Only a little higher, if I remember rightly. This path leaves the cliff and runs into a wide, shallow trough at the bottom of a long, hard slope. We should have no shelter there from snow or stones or anything else. And it is no good going back while the storm holds, said Aragorn. We have passed no place on the way up that offered more shelter than this cliff wall we are under now. Shelter, muttered Sam. If this is shelter, then one wall and no roof make a house. All right. Um... First, <laughs> of course, Jackie, exactly. We end with Sam, right? Uh, how many times exactly does Sam get the last word? Sam is like the king. If, if Boromir is the chief interrupter, Sam is the, the absolute master of the last word, right? Or at least is granted the last word by the narrator on almost every occasion, right? Exactly. The last mutter. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, and this, again, really seems to go back to the observation we've made many times. Um, why I'm so convinced that that's Frodo as narrator, uh, who is inserting all of these Samisms, because they follow so closely uh, the comment that Frodo will make in the stairs of Kirith Ungol, um, as his as the imagined future readers of the story are, in Frodo's imagination anyway, clamoring for more and more of Sam's talk. Um, and you're right, Green Great Dragon. Well, I'm back. He'll get the last words in the entire book, won't he? Um, that's Sam, right? Sam always <laughs> has the last word. Um, uh, but um, let's, let's go back up to the top here. Um, Mad Violinist, you're right. Um, we rarely get more of the company members speaking in one passage than we get here. We get Boromir, Aragorn, Gimli, Gandalf, Pippin, and Sam. Uh, so that is six out of the nine. Um, if you give Frodo the... the uh, um, credit for narrating, right, then we get his perspective here, which means only Legolas and Merry are unrepresented uh, in this uh, in this passage here. Legolas will um, 
uh, and Bill, you're right. We don't get uh, uh, Bill's contributions to this particular discussion, um, though we will get something from him uh, from him fairly soon. Um, but um, exactly, yeah, we, I, I don't doubt we're going to get a pointed tail swish uh, from Bill, which will speak volumes. Um, and you're right, Mary and Frodo are mentioned both as those. Uh, Mary may not get any lines here in this discussion, but he is at least being leaned on by Pippin, so he's still uh, he's still he's still contributing. Yeah, um, but let's look at the character of this. This is, I think, a rather complicated discussion. There's a lot going on here. I think. Um, look at the tone that Boromir starts with. This, I think, this is really a moment for Boromir. We cannot go further tonight, said Boromir. Whoa. Look who's pulling rank and giving orders here, right? This is not an opinion. That doesn't sound like a vote from Boromir, right? This is not, um, you know, remember we were focusing on how diplomatic he was being. Let's let's go back and look at that hand. I think it's uh, way down at the bottom. I think now where was it? Um, oh yeah, here it is. Um, remember this? I will add a word of advice if I may. I was born under the shadow. Just that opening. I will add a word of advice if I may. Notice how qualified that is. He is not stepping on toes here. Right? He then justifies it and explains that I was born under the shadow of the White Mountains and know something of journeys in the high places, still speaking modestly, not claiming expertise, but giving some credentials. Right? We shall meet bitter cold, if no worse, before we come down on the far side. It will not help us to keep so secret that we are frozen to death, he says, half, cheer half you know, cheeringly. Um, uh, anyway, it, it's he's... So cautious, so careful uh, not to step on toes. Um, but now, wow, we cannot go further tonight. Let those call it the wind who will. There are fell voices on the air, and these stones are aimed at us. So first, it's like Boromir is cutting through, uh, saying, all right, Enough of the nonsense, right? Uh, I am not, like, I am stating facts. We cannot go further tonight. Now, notice he is not, he's not gone, I don't want to overstate this. Like, he's not gone as far as he might have gone. Like, he's not actually claiming, he's not giving orders exactly. This is still, um, still an indicative and not an imperative statement, right? It could be more forceful even than it is, right? Um, but it's a very, for, no uh, word of advice, if I may, about this statement here, right? We cannot go further tonight. You know, you guys have been debating, you, which was explicit, right? We've heard Aragorn and Gandalf talking about what to do, and he was, Boromir was content at the time to give advice, and now he's like, this is how it is. We cannot go further tonight. Um... And, it, and the statement, again, he's noticed that it's an observation about them and their abilities. We cannot. Right? He's not 
again, it, it could be worse. He could be like, we will go no further tonight. Right. Him simply asserting his will and saying, this is going to be because I decree it shall be so. Um, that's not exactly how he's handling this. Right. We cannot go further. To, it is not possible. I am making the indicative but very pointed observation that it is not possible for us to go further tonight. But now the second part, right? Let those call it the wind who will. There are fell voices on the air, and these stones are aimed at us. He is anticipating contradictions, right? So, like, what he wants to say is, there are fell voices on the air, and, the, and these stones are aimed at us. Notice, by following up his we cannot go further tonight statement with this, it seems like what he is saying is not just we are totally bogging down in this snow. We can't go any further tonight because it's snowing so hard or because the wind is blowing so hard or whatever. It's not about the weather, right? Boromir is saying we cannot go further tonight because we're under attack right now. It's not safe. We can't. We can't do it. There are fell voices on the air, and these stones are aimed at us. We're under attack right now, people. We can't go further tonight. Forget about it. But it's not just that he's saying that. He says that, and he leads in with, let those call it the wind who will, anticipating that his interpretation is going to achieve resistance. That if he just says, there are fell voices on the air and these stones are aimed at us, somebody is going to say, it's just the wind. Remember the narrator himself set that up, right? This is, it's almost like Boromir has read the narration, right? They heard eerie noises in the darkness round them. It may have been only a trick of the wind in the cracks and gullies of the rocky wall, but the sounds were those of shrill cries and wild howls of laughter. Stones began to fall from the mountainside. Um, yeah, Matt says the only person he would have had to use this kind of approach with uh, is his father. Yes, it's true. It's true. And again, though I would, st in general, I would still say we've observed many times that Boromir is very, um, very diplomatic. Um, I, I, I'm still, I'm still seeing that. Um, yeah, now, Stumduck says, I always took this as Boromir voicing what everyone has been weighing in their minds. Is it just the wind? Yes. Yes, I think so. Um, but in one sense, I think that's true. But I don't think he himself is in doubt. The statements that he makes are firm statements. There are fell voices on the air. He doesn't just say it sounds like there are fell voices in the air. It is as if there are fell voices in the air. Or, you know, the wind strikes me like the sound of fell voices. There are fell voices on the air. And these stones are aimed at us. Like, the, this is not, this is, these are not random, random rock falls. He is asserting that here. Um... Let those call it the wind who will. He is now 
I don't know if it's going too far to say that he's anticipating. Like there, there, there are a couple ways to interpret it, right? One would be, let's go from mildest to harshest. The mildest interpretation of that statement is that he's just qualifying it. Like, I acknowledge in advance that there is probably going to be, there might be some of you who are thinking or are still trying to convince yourself that it's just the wind. Right. And so I'm going to I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to acknowledge that. Let those call it the wind they will. If you're telling yourself that you can keep telling yourself that. But I'm going to I'm going to tell you the truth. There are fell voices on the air and these stones are aimed at us. That seems to me the mildest interpretation. The medium ground interpretation would be that he is proactively attempting to disarm the obje- an objection which he expects to come. He thinks that if he just says, we cannot go further tonight, there are fell voices on the air and these stones are aimed at us, somebody in the party is going to be like, oh, it's just the wind, right? And so he's like, I'm not even going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to acknowledge that first and then we're moving past it, right? The harshest interpretation of that is that there is a particular, like he is making a proactive argument against a particular person. Um, And given who speaks next and what he says, it would seem likely that that particular person would be Aragorn. Um, Now you're right, Emily, that Gandalf has spent a fair amount of time poo-pooing people's suggestions. uh, And maybe it's not just maybe it's not Aragorn in particular that he has in mind. Um, anyway, so Boromir, as I say, this is a change for Boromir. He is, this is the first time he has been this assertive. Um, he is a, uh, uh, oh, sorry. Um, he's a general, he is a leader. Um, he is somebody who is used to command and used to rule, even, um, as he is the heir of Denethor. Denethor is the lord of the city, um, so Boromir does not rule yet, but he's the general of the armies, and he certainly um, is, is used to uh, having his own way. It's been a little odd from the beginning for him. It's put him in a strange position from the beginning, that he's just what, like the tank on this, <laughs> in this party, right? That he is not in any kind of a leadership position. And we saw a little bit of tension um, with the whole horn sounding incident before they left Rivendell, right? Where he seems to uh, have taken exception to this whole idea of the stealth mission, it just didn't sit right with him, right? So he does his thing. Right, practices some civil disobedience and blows his horn as they set out on their secret mission. Um, slow should you be to wind that horn again? And he's like, yeah, whatever. But, you know, he's like, maybe. You know, we may walk in darkness later, but I don't play like that. <laughs> right? When I set out. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. All right. So that's been there. But we haven't really seen it. We haven't really seen it come out. He's been really, really good, including, as we saw, just that past that past moment here. He's flirting with takeover. (laughs) Right. I mean, I 
I cannot help but hear in that first sentence, we cannot go further tonight. Um, to me, that almost sounds like somebody has to take charge here, right? As this is insane, right? This is what is happening now is insane. I've been going along with it, right? But it's time. It's 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 time for somebody with sense to step in. We cannot go further tonight. I don't know what you so-called leaders of this company were thinking or are planning now, but um, it's time to get real here. Um, we cannot go further tonight. Now, remember that earlier on, he had spoken of in that whole the whole discussion of uh, how long the arm of Sauron had gotten. Let's uh, hang on. I didn't mean to advance it there. Um, let's see. It's the unsolicited advice. Um, Let's see, where's the... Oh, here it is. Um, after that, he said, I wonder if this is a contrivance of the enemy. They say in my land that he can govern the storms in the mountains of shadow that stand upon the borders of Mordor. He has strange powers and many allies. And Gimli seems to scoff at that. His arm has grown long indeed. If he can draw snow down from the north, the trouble is here 300 leagues away. And Gandalf says his arm has grown long. Right? So Gandalf seems to say... Don't rule it out, right? Um, so we he's already kind of shown what's in his own mind, what Boromir himself is... I don't, I don't want to say exactly what he's afraid of, because I'm not seeing fear exactly either in, in any of these statements. Um, it's not exactly about that. But where his mind is going, like how he's reading what's going on, Right. Um, and so therefore, I think based upon his uh, based upon his comments um, about um, his already recently stated. Interpretive suggestion, right, that this could be a contrivance of Sauron. Sauron is known to do this kind of thing, manipulate weather in the mountains. Could be Sauron. Um so when Boromir says, let those call it the wind who will, there are fell voices on the air and these stones are aimed at us. Um, I think that that's still what's in Boromir's mind. Um, we are under attack by the enemy or by his allies. Notice that he says there are fell voices on the air. Um, not rather a fell voice. I, I don't think that he is stating or implying that um, it's just that it's Sauron. That that's you know, I, Boromir is not like it's Sauron, right? Like uh, sort of like in the film, it's not like that at all. Um, there are fell voices in the air. Uh, Sauron has many allies, you know, as many powers and and uh, you know, strange powers and many allies. Um, <clears throat> Who knows? Who knows how he's doing it? Who knows exactly who is doing it at his command or whatever? But this is probably a contrivance of the enemy. We are under attack and we need to take that seriously and act like it. Right? Now, Aragorn's response is to me 
the most puzzling part of this entire exchange. I do call it the wind, he says. But that does not make what you say untrue. There are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have little love for those that go on two legs, and yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Some have been in this world longer than he. First of all, let's unpack his first sentence. I do call it the wind, but that does not make what you say untrue. All right, all right. Okay, okay. Um... Aragorn does sound a little defensive here, doesn't he, Nancy? I think so, too. Um, I do call it the wind, but that does not make what you say untrue. So, again, what does he even mean by that? What exactly does that mean? Boromir says, let those call it the wind who will. There are fell voices on the air. And Aragorn's like, I do call it the wind. Like, he immediately rises up to oppose Boromir. I do call it the wind. But then, but that does not make what you say untrue. Um, what? <laughs> what? Okay. All right. Um, right. I wonder. Um, uh, some parabire says perhaps agreeing with we cannot go further tonight. I, I don't think so. I think in context he has to be agreeing with the statement that he makes about the wind. I do call it the wind, but that does not make what you say untrue. I, I think that has to mean, but that doesn't mean that there aren't fell voices on the air and these stones aren't aimed at us. He's like, I, I think you're right that we're under attack. You're right that there are fell voices on the air and you're right that the stones are aimed at us. I, 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 don't, I don't think those things are... I'm not arguing that those things are untrue. But I am saying that it's the wind. Boromir is saying might some people might say that it might be thinking that these sounds that we hear that sound like laughter, remember, are just the wind. I'm telling you, it's not just the wind. Aragorn says, actually, it is the wind. But it is also a fell voice in the air. And you're right. The stones are aimed at us. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay, Aragorn. Um, I don't think... I think there's some irony in Aragorn's statement here. Um, on the one hand, um, on the one hand, his very first initial comment, I do call it the wind, sounds like he's going in the direction of saying, of like belittling Boromir's statement, right? Let those call it the wind who will, but I think there's an enemy out to get us. And Aragorn says, I do call it the wind, which sounds like he's starting to say, and therefore, I think there's not an, uh, there's not an enemy out to get us. The irony that I was saying is that he seems, he takes that opening, I do call it the wind, which sounds like he's going to be taking the contrary side of Boromir. And instead, what he does, I think, in the end, 
is go even further than Boromir does. Again, what does it mean to say that there are fell voices on the air, but it actually is the wind? Well, if it's true that there are fell voices in the air and that the stones are aimed at them and that it's just the wind, well, that suggests that the problem is actually bigger than Boromir thinks. Boromir thinks it's a windy night, right? Like, it's, it's windy. I mean, like there's, there's objective wind, right? There's no question about that. It's windy. But through the wind, you can hear fell voices. You might think that those fell voices are just the wind, but they're not. There's wind plus fell voices. And Aragorn says, I do call it the wind because the wind is the fell voice. It is the wind itself that is attacking us. This is not something... It's not that something is attacking us and it is making it look like the weather is attacking us instead, right? Or like, you might mistake it for just the storm, but actually it's an enemy. Aragorn seems to be saying the storm is the enemy. The storm itself, the wind itself, is sentient and attacking us. If you see what I mean. Um, Which does not actually seem like he's trying to dial back from Boromir's alarmism. Because look what he goes on to say. There are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have little love for those that go on two legs. He's not trying to argue they're not under attack. Right? He's like, yeah, yeah, we are under attack. But let's, um, let's look at the big picture here. The, the bad news is, you're right, something large and evil and unfriendly is trying to kill us. But the good news is, there's a whole lot of evil and unfriendly things in the world you know, that have little love for those that go on two legs and yet are not in the league with Sauron, right? Just because some huge evil thing is trying to kill us doesn't mean that Sauron has hired them, right? doesn't mean they're working for Sauron. They have purposes of their own. They're free agents trying to kill us. Free agents which are in control of the wind whose very voice is the voice of the wind. Again, think of the implication of that. I do call it the wind, but that does not make what you say untrue. Again, Boromir is like there are two options, right? We are all hearing these sounds. Either there is an evil creature out there yelling and laughing at us, right? And we can hear it through the wind. Or... It's just the wind blowing through crevices in the rocks and making that sound, which is therefore only the illusion that something is out there. In that case, there's nothing actually out malicious out there at all. So either there's nothing out there and it just kind of sounds like it, or there is. It's not the wind at all. It's the evil thing instead. Aragorn opens up this really grim third possibility. <laughs> right? Yeah. That sound that you hear... That's the wind blowing through crevices in the rocks. 
Why is the wind blowing through crevices in just that way, so as to make just that sound? Because the wind itself is laughing at you, right? Because the wind is itself animated by a spirit so malicious, so locally at least, powerful, uh, uh, and so determined to do us harm, that it is not only blowing boulders down the hillside to, you know, try to crush us, but it's also deliberately going out of its way to make, you know, mocking sounds. Uh, that's, um, that seems to be kind of what he's saying there. I do call it the wind, but that does not make what you say untrue. Um, it is the wind. And that's what the fell voice in the air is. And the wind itself. Again, it's not, is there a monster out there throwing stones at us like a giant? Um, or is it just the wind? Does the wind happen to be blowing these boulders? Because like, these boulders would be rolling down this hill anyway, even if we weren't here. Because it's just what would happen in a storm, right? Um, those are the two options, right? And Boromir's like, I know which of those two things is true. And Aragorn is like, actually, no. No, it's not a binary choice at all, actually. Um, <clears throat> it is just the wind. But it is both better and worse than you think. <clears throat> it's worse than you think, because we're not just talking about a malevolent creature which is out there in the storm. The storm itself is the malevolent creature. That's the bad news. The good news is it probably doesn't work for Sauron. So um, you should widen your horizons in that way, Boromir. Remember the one thing that has been persistently true about Boromir. Apart from, you know, his, we've seen his diplomacy. We've seen his, um, uh, you know being used to being obeyed. Um, he's made a good showing of himself many times. However, he's also been called out for his parochialism. He just doesn't have much experience of the world. Remember all... I mean, yes, he's made journeys in the mountains before, right? He has some experience of journeys in the mountains, though he doesn't specify how much that is. Um... But he's lived in Gondor all his life, and Valori exactly. To him, everything is about Sauron. I, like it would be if you grew up in Gondor, right? If you grew up across the street from Mordor, right? Able to see Mordor from the walls of your city. Um, especially the life that Boromir has led. Actively warring against the armies of the Dark Lord as he grows in power again. So, Gondorians, if Boromir is a representative sample, have an understandable uh, obsession with the power of the enemy unleashed against them. And so that's his paradigm, right? Oh, look, some huge, uncertain, slightly nebulous evil force seems to be attacking us. Sounds like Sauron to me, right? That's what it would be back home for sure, right? So he doesn't even seem to doubt that, right? Um, Aragorn here is emphasized. So like what he is trying to clarify, again, th that does not make what you say untrue. I don't think he's disagreeing 
with almost anything that Boromir is saying. What he's disagreeing with is the here unstated, though again, building on what he just, the last thing he said before this, uh, you know, thinking it was a contrive, the snow was a contrivance of the enemy. Um, Aragorn is saying, don't slow your roll if you're assuming that this is Sauron or one of his allies at work. Um, it needn't be. Now, that is not the world's biggest help right now. I mean, okay, it's a little bit comforting to think that just, like, the fact that we're pinned against a wall by a snowstorm and somebody's hucking boulders at us doesn't mean that Sauron, like, the presence of the ring has been revealed to Sauron. That's good news, right? Um, like, long term, if there's going to be a long term, uh, long term, things may still be fine, right? Um, but short term, it doesn't much matter. And that, of course, is where Gandalf is going to come down on this in um, in just a minute. Yeah. Bjarnas honor it's exactly that. Um, hey, at least the person that's attacking us isn't the person we wanted to avoid specifically. Yes, exactly. Um, so we're uh, we're getting hammered here, but at least we're not getting hammered by the person we've been specifically trying to avoid. So that's that's the that's the upside here. Um, some have been in this world longer than he. <clears throat> I mean, he's like almost in. Uh, in lecturing mode here, right? I think Aragorn, when Gimli goes on to explain, Carothros was called the Cruel and had an ill name long years ago when rumor of Sauron had not been heard in these lands. I think that's what Aragorn was getting at. I don't think he wanted to say it. He didn't seem to want to. He could have said it. He didn't seem to want to say it. Um... Why doesn't he want to say it? Um, I, I don't know. Um, again, Gimli knows how to exp how to understand all this. This mountain is ornery. Carothros was called the Cruel and had an ill name long years ago. There are legends, apparently, among Gimli's people of the cruelty of the mountain Carothros. That there is something about this, that this mountain is aware. And now we go back to all of those personifications we were getting of the mountain. It does seem to me perfectly clear from these two paragraphs. I do think that Tolkien is implying, yes, it is actually the spirit of Carothras that is attacking them. And that's why Aragorn says it is the wind in the crevices in the rocks. But that does not make what you say untrue. That's how Carothros talks. Um, remember the sound of Old Man Willow's voice, which sounded like dry branches rubbing together? Um, that's, what, that's what Old Man Willow sounded like. Um when they could hear the whispers of his song rippling and spreading out through the old forest. Uh, the wind... What was that uh, 
expression again. Um, a trick of the wind in the cracks and gullies of the rocky wall. Uh, it may be that. But that's how Karathras talks. Um, that is the voice of Karathras. The voice of Karathras as hearable, apparently, by mortals. Um, yeah. yeah. James, you're right. Um, that is really interesting. James and uh, um, Matt are both thinking about how saying the name of a thing draws its attention. Uh, Matt says, in Irish myth, there was an aversion to naming uh, things of a wolf because of the speak of the devil, uh, uh, to naming things a wolf uh, because of the speak of the devil approach. Yeah, exactly. And we saw, as James points out, um, the reluctance of Strider to name, like, don't speak of such things. Don't talk about wraiths. Um, we've seen him be cautious about that kind of thing. He does... I think he's being circumspect in a similar kind of way. He doesn't want to talk about the mountain. He could, but he doesn't want to. Um, notice how those last two sentences are almost riddling. Right? There are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have little love for those that go on two legs. Those that go on two legs, implying that those things don't go on two legs. Okay. And yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Some have been in this world longer than he. What has been in this world longer than Sauron does not go on two legs, is evil, or at least unfriendly, and does not love, has a little love for those that go on two legs. Right? And Gimli... It's like Gimli's guest, the riddle. Karathras was called the cruel and had an ill name. Um, uh, long years ago, when rumor of Sauron had not been heard in these lands. Um, Gand this, I wonder if this informs Gandalf's comment. Gandalf's comment is to me a little bit puzzling too. It matters little who is the enemy if we cannot beat off his attack. Not at all. Doesn't matter even a little bit who the enemy is. I kind of think it might. Doesn't it sound like Gandalf is, uh, you know, a little bit, um, you know, Ixnay on the Arathras Cray right there, right? Yeah, like he's, um, he does sound a little dismissive, Jackie. Um, it sounds like he's trying to change the subject, doesn't it? Um, uh, yeah, as JJ points out, he says that it matters little, not that it doesn't matter. Um, it is possible that he doesn't want them, or that he's trying to stop the argument, or rather drawing general attention to the fact that, like, look, um, trying to guess the identity of our enemy right now, not super predictive, doesn't actually matter all that much, right? Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Abelard uh, says, uh, you know, uh, it's a d debate about who gets the XP for killing them. Um, yes, yes. Um, right. Abelard, but you are completely right. It certainly does matter who gets to loot their corpses. That's that's the thing that really matters. Um, but I do wonder if he's trying to 
if there are other reasons why he wants to stop this discussion. Um, Pippin, as he is so wont to do, comes to Gandalf's aid. But what can we do? cried Pippin miserably. If we cannot beat off his attack. Um, Pippin is like, how are we supposed to beat off the attack of the mountain? Right? Um, how can we possibly stand up to the... You know, I mean, like, what is the defense against the boulders being flung at us and the snow that's burying us? Um, he was leaning on Mary and Frodo and he was shivering. Notice we don't get anything about the rest of them. Posture, circumstances, any sense of what they're feeling while they're talking. We just get a said Boromir, a said Aragorn, a said Gimli, and a said Gandalf, right, in those first four paragraphs. Now with the hobbits. Pippin is the one with whom we are being kind of connected here, right? Um, he was leaning on Mary and Frodo and he was shivering. This is where we are invited to recall the circumstances. And we see Pippin's misery, not only just the fact that he's cold, that detail of him leaning against Mary, right? Um, Pippin and Mary, they're huddling together for warmth, shivering in the snow, um, and asking, what can we do? Right? Pippin is like the representative of their helplessness in the face of this attack. Um, Gandalf, Boromir, Aragorn, all of those big people might be much bigger and more powerful than little Pippin at this moment. But they are no less helpless to fight the storm in the mountains than Pippin is. Right? He's really the... Uh, um, uh, he's really the sort of spokesperson here, right? Um, but what can we do? Either stop where we are or go back, said Gandalf. It is no good going on. Now, I, I, it's tempting. Gandalf's been arguing against going on from before they started, right? We know he has been... Um, so it's a little bit tempting to hear from Gandalf here a little bit of special pleading, right? Uh, like just a, a faint touch of I told you so, right? In his either stop where we are or go back. It is no good going on. Um, implication, it never was any good going on in the first place, right? Um, but he has a little bit more than that, Um only a little higher, if I remember rightly, this path leaves the cliff and runs into a wide, shallow trough at the bottom of a long, hard slope. We should have no shelter there from snow or stones or anything else. What else exactly do you think he's wondering or thinking they might need shelter from? Um, it's a kind of an ominous anything else, if you think about it, isn't it? An avalanche? Yes. Certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly, generally, whatever you think we might need shelter from, we won't have it. Um, so you just go back to it doesn't matter who the enemy is, right? Maybe there are gi evil giants out there 
throwing rocks and trying to kill us. Maybe the mountain hates us and is trying to find ways to kill us. Maybe there are servants and allies of Sauron out there closing in on us and attempting to destroy us. In any case, whatever it is, whoever the enemy may be, we're going to be certainly less able to beat off his attack out there exposed in this wide, shallow trough at the bottom of a long, hard slope. We're going to be, is if we were to be... Uh, if, there, if we were to be physically attacked, um, this would be the worst situation. If we were to have the boulders continue to roll down on us, this would be worst. Uh, the, you know, the, the snow, whatever, whatever it is. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, or maybe all at once, Lady Shmabulak, I agree. I agree. Um, and it is no good going back while the storm holds, said Aragorn. Now, notice Aragorn here is practically endorsing Boromir's initial statement. We cannot go further tonight. We can't go further tonight in either direction. Right? I mean... We've just got to hunker down where we are and hope for the best. And Aragorn seems to completely agree with that. It's no good going back. We have passed no place on the way up that offered more shelter than this cliff wall we are under now. Um, this is the best spot. This is the best shelter that we have found the entire way. Um, right? We've reached a local minimum of danger, even if it's still a lot of danger. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. Um, I don't think all things taken, taking it all together. Initially, I was tempted by that reading, which by a reading which sees it's it's the it, Aragorn's comment I do call it the wind feels pointed right that response tempts me to read these those first couple lines as a real moment of tension between Boromir and Aragorn um, Aragorn's pointed response to Boromir's statement makes it sound to me as if Boromir had Aragorn in mind, you know, when he was saying what those call it the wind who will. And so, um, my initial temptation with this passage is to kind of build that out a little bit, to build that into, um, to see that as a sign of tension between the two of them, between Boromir and Aragorn. But I don't, on the whole, I don't really think so. Um, Aragorn's final statement there, it's no good going back while the storm holds. We have passed no place on the way up that offered more shelter than this cliff wall we are under now. Um, 
he, do, he hasn't disagreed with Boromir about anything. The only thing he disagrees with him on is who the enemy might be. Or in a sense, like on what scale the enemy might be. Um, and his difference from Boromir there is not is not one of, oh, Boromir, you're being too much of an alarmist. It's not as bad as you're trying to make out. If anything, he's going the opposite direction. Actually, Boromir, it's not Sauron. It's kind of worse. It's not that Sauron is reaching from 300 leagues away uh, and is somehow affecting weather weather patterns on this mountain in order to try to attack us. It's worse. The mountain itself is attacking us. The mountain is trying to eat us. We're in even more trouble than that. Um, yeah, yeah. Dr. Benway says Aragorn's tension stems from the fact that his plan is currently stymied. Yes, Aragorn... Notice Aragorn is quickly giving in. He is... He has ceased to argue that they should try it and continue. Remember that he never at any point thought this was a good idea. <laughs> right? Um, he always thought, rather that it was, under the circumstances and given the options, clearly the least bad option. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Michael, I don't, I don't agree with that. Michael was saying that it feels to me, uh, M- Michael Tobias was saying, it feels to me more like hedging from Boromir. There are those who say all over again. He has done that kind of thing before, though generally... Again, mostly to be polite. But this is more pointed than that. Um, this is not just a, some have said that sounds like this are the wind, but I say, right? Let those call it the wind who will. Um, he is acknowledging that some might think it is the wind. But he is, by framing it that way, scoffing at that idea. Let those call it the wind who will. If you want to call it the wind, you can. Right? But there are fell voices on the air. He's staking an interpretive claim. I am telling you, there are fell voices on the air and those stones are we are under attack, people. We are under attack, people. Let those call it the wind who will. Call it the wind um, you can say this if you want, but you're wrong. Is what he's saying. I mean, that's why, so he's not, he's not just invoking a hedging thing here, right? There are some who have said that. um, Because, of course, notice it's not even his own statement that he's hedging, right? Um, He's hedging the alternative to his statement. I say there are fell voices on the air. There might be some who say it's just the wind, but they're morons, (laughs) right? I mean, that, that is the way that, let those call it the wind. You can say it, whatever, knock yourself out. Say that it's just the wind if you want to, but you're wrong, and I am saying there are fell voices on the air. So it's a much, much stronger uh, statement than that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, yes, he's emphasizing his own confidence that something deeper is afoot. Yes, exactly. Um, yes, right. Bjornasoner is saying that, therefore, Aragorn's response, it's not actually anything deeper, 
but that makes it even worse is sort of the perfect counter. Yes, he's not he's he's not then or at any other time disagreeing with Boromir. Though he also is showing that he's not intimidated by Boromir either. Let those call it the wind who will. Could you imagine any of the hobbits, even Pippin, after Boromir makes a statement like that? that let those call it the wind who will. There are fell voices on the air. Is even Pippin going to speak up and be like, well, actually, I thought it was just the wind, Boromir. Pipe down, right? They're not going to, none of them are going to say that. You think Sam would? Maybe, Karita, maybe he would. Um, uh, Aragorn immediately, I do call it the wind. Like, you don't intimidate me, Boromir. Um, you don't intimidate me, but you're not wrong. Except you're kind of wrong, except actually you're not wrong. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, Jackie. The only clarification Aragorn seems eager to make, the only disagreement is, let's not put all our eggs in the Sauron basket. Exactly, exactly. Um yeah, yeah. And I, and I agree, JJ. I do think that even though maybe Sam would be one who might be willing to speak up against Boromir, or at least mutter against Boromir, um, I, I doubt he would. I doubt he would agree. I mean, he, um, he did, as you point out, hear Old Man Willow talking, right? I don't think that Sam is going to be a big doubter here. Um, yeah Amanmoto says um, so is what Aragorn's saying basically look you're right but also you're not the boss um, yeah to some extent I mean I do Boromir's we cannot go further tonight um, if nobody says anything to kind of put Boromir in his place here, back in his place, this could get ugly. I mean, everybody knows this could get ugly. Boromir is a problem waiting to happen on this trip in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm not saying that he's like, everyone's saying he's definitely going to go bad or something, but like from an organizational standpoint, right? I mean, Boromir is, um, it, it could be a real problem, um, uh, potentially. And, Aragorn immediately steps up to this, which is interesting because he, Aragorn, has been deferring to Gandalf. Gandalf is clearly in charge, um, even though Gandalf has also been deferring to Aragorn as far as like, you know, it, you know, remember his comment about uh, um, if you bring a ranger with you, it's 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 well to pay it then, you know, to, to listen to him. Um, and Aragorn has been the one who's been doing the actual pathfinding and things like that. Uh, so there's um, there's been a certain amount of shared leadership here. Um, but um, but yeah, he's not going to let Boromir just kind of come in here and say, neither one of you knows what you're doing. You're both of you leading us into disaster. I'm taking over. Right, which Boromir is 
sounds this close, right? He's very, very close um, to saying something quite like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Aragorn stands up to him, but he does so courteously and circumspectly, but that does not make what you say untrue. You're not wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's not Sauron, so you shouldn't be thinking that necessarily. Um, but it's no good going back while the storm holds, says Aragorn. Practically saying, I'm with Boromir. We cannot go further tonight. He's totally right. What, what Boromir said, Aragorn says. Right? Again, so he's not dismissing Boromir. He's not being pig-headed and saying, like, well, whatever we do, we're not doing what Boromir said, because, boy, once we, you know give him an inch, he'll take a mile, so um, uh, yeah, yeah, it is a kingly correction of Boromir, yeah, I think so I think so um, and notice how he explicitly picks up on what Gandalf had just said, we should have no shelter there from snow or stones or anything else. And Aragorn immediately picks up on that. We have passed no place that offered more shelter than this cliff wall we are under now. This is a, the best place. We're not going to find any place better than this. Um, so let us stop here. In short, we cannot go further tonight. Totally agree. Totally agree. But notice that this is... Um, His is a more... If there's one thing that Aragorn is doing better here, especially at the end, than Boromir, it's being a little more positive for the benefit of the others. I mean, we cannot go further tonight. Something is trying to kill us. And we need to acknowledge this. Right? We can't go further tonight because something is trying to kill us. And Aragorn is like... Let's look at the half-full version of that statement, right? Um, I mean, in fact, that whole... St it's no good going back while the storm holds. We've passed no place on the way up that offered more shelter than this cliff wall we are under now is exactly the half-full version of what Boromir just said. Um, this... We are in the... Um, let's look at it this way. We are right even now in the most advantageous possible position that we could be in this evening, under the circumstances, right? So let's, um, uh, let's focus on the positive and um, camp, <laughs> right? But Sam won't let him get away with it. Shelter, muttered Sam. If this is shelter, then one wall and no roof make a house. Um, once again, you have... Sam the BS detector. Yes. Um, Sam doesn't like what those call it shelter who will. <laughs> Says Barry a deer. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, what those call it shelter who will. <laughs> I do call it shelter, says Abelard. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, Sam is once again in, like, 
puddle glum mode, right? I refuse to be cheered up. Oh, it will get much warmer as we get back. Too warm, I shouldn't wonder, right? We've passed no place on the way up that offered more shelter than this cliff wall. If this is shelter, then one wall and no roof make a house. Um, this is not his view of shelter. So why, again, why does he do it? Why is it that um, Frodo the narrator feels that we have to hear this from Sam? What is the effect of Sam's uh, uh, of Sam's speech here. Comic relief, yes. Though I'm not sure he's comic relief to the group. Um, it's one of my memories from uh, early days of listening to audio dramas of The Lord of the Rings. I remember getting to lines like this from Sam. And normally in an audio drama, they tend to just make his... I mean, they kind of can't have him muttering. It's hard to do the muttering. Um, so they usually just have him speak it out like he's saying it to every, like he's announcing it to everybody. As if Sam was actually ending the conversation in the company as a whole by saying in full voice, if there's a shelter, then one wall and no room. Like he's openly heckling Aragorn. He doesn't open, openly heckle him. He's just muttering. It's only Frodo... Uh, it's only Frodo who can hear this. What we're, I mean, the effect of his speech, we were already reminded that the hobbits are miserable and cold. Pippin and Merry and Frodo reminded us of that earlier on, right? Pippin audibly, Merry and Frodo as props, literally props, right? Um... Sam's reminder at the end, yes, the hobbits are cold and miserable. That's one of the things that it reminds us of. Um, but it also... What was I going to say? Um, what is the image that he is raising here? It's a lot like his comments about the snowfall, that he wishes that this lot would go off to Hobbiton. Folks might enjoy it there. Um, he was raising his comment, though it was a complaining comment. It still invokes positive thoughts, right? Um, once again, Sam is providing a touchstone for home, right? Um, when Aragorn speaks of shelter, you know, to an experienced traveler like Aragorn, a, uh, you know, an, an inward sloping cliff wall, I mean, you know, that's good shelter right there, right? Hard to ask for better in the, in the mountains like this. Right. But the word shelter in Sam's vocabulary means something quite different. Right. This is not shelter in Sam's vocabulary. In Sam's vocabulary, shelter means a house. Right. Uh, to get into shelter means to get inside a house. Um, 
and that's 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 what the word means that's he's he still has this like unashamed shire word uh orientation right just as his first you know his expressed thoughts on the snow falling were like imagining a snow fallen hobbiton um so now when aragorn says the word shelter he's thinking and he's like you know a shelter is a house and this is about the worst house I've ever been in. One wall and no roof. If this is shelter, one wall and no roof make a house. Which doesn't, obviously. Right? This is no shelter at all. Um, yeah, Sam's heart has never left the Shire. It's true. Um, yeah. Um... He won't go along with calling this shelter. <laughs> Bill does make a good wall, I'm sure. Um... Sam is Sam is here giving us I'm trying I'm just trying to figure out how to frame this you know Sam gives us like the man on the street perspective on everything right um, is he Sam is he the hero of a story? Like one of those stories that he loved hearing from Mr. Bilbo? Um, he is, but he doesn't think of himself that way. And he certainly doesn't talk that way. Um, in a story, people taking shelter under a craggy cliff face while the snow was falling around them might sound fine, right? Um, but that's not the actual experience. This is as much shelter as one wall and as a house with one wall and no roof, right? Sam doesn't give in to any of the any tendency, any attempt. He serves a function for us as readers in always helping us always to connect to the sort of real experience of this right um there is nothing sort of romanticized about sam's point of view um yeah beyond center that's what i keep coming back to too that he has a really interesting relationship with the epic he loves this in stories but has no aspiration to it himself at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, nor does he have any, what, I almost want to say perception of it. Like, it's like it's like he's tone deaf when it comes to that. 
which is ironic because he's the one who has the finest tuned ear for it, right? Um, of everybody. I mean, he's the greatest story lover in the group, as far as we can tell. Um, and yet, he refuses to play along with it. I, again, uh, Aragorn has just given what I think is clearly the glass-half-full version of what Boromir said. We're as safe here as we could be tonight, so let's stay here. This is the best situation we're going to find. And Sam is having none of it. This is not shelter. No way. Right? Um... You can say that if you like, Mr. Strider, right? But um, but that doesn't make it so. And it is a way in which Tolkien persistently by Sam, it's like Sam's job is to sort of prick that bubble all the time. He keeps doing it. He, he's been doing it. He's going to keep doing it, right? Um, anytime you might let yourself get into a flowery kind of epic mode, right? Sam is going to be there to puncture it, right? And yes, Amenmoto, give a, a dose of Hobbit reality. But also really helping us, his grumbles, help us to connect with it. This, Bilbo was right about adventures being nasty uncomfortable things clearly they're nasty uncomfortable things just ask sam he'll tell you um see but chris that's exactly what i'm not confident in um i i agree that it's funny um and it just might be about keeping up mr frodo's spirits but how does that keep up his spirits that's the problem that i have if sam were acting like a fool i mean like a clown. I could understand it. If Sam were the one who were saying all these comically cheerful things, if you were saying comically cheerful things, I would immediately just be like, well, yeah, he's just trying to keep up Frodo's spirits like everybody else. Except he's not. He's doing the opposite of that. He's doing the opposite of that. And um, I don't see anything in Sam, what Sam is doing that is calculated to keep up Frodo's spirits. Exactly. At least not traditionally. Um, so, so yes, I, I, I'm not, of course, denying that it's funny. Um, Frodo, of course, is going to come back to that, right? Um, that Sam makes him laugh. Um, Again, he's imagining their future readers wanting more of Sam's talk because Sam's talk makes them laugh. Um, but it's not... He doesn't just make, he doesn't make jokes. He's not making a joke here. He doesn't just make jokes. He doesn't clown. He doesn't act the fool. Um, indeed, again, he sounds more like Puddleglum. He sounds more like a downer. Uh, than he does anything else. And yet, there is something comforting about this. Um, and uh, and, and I'm, I'm wanting to see 
I wanted to see the patterns. I wanted to see what is the function? What is the overall pattern that we see in Sam's words? Um, in a sense, what I'm doing is in advance, you know, we, we all know that passage on the stairs of Kirathungal. It's well in our future, right? Um, but we all know that passage. And when we get there, uh, I am going to want to say things like, Frodo here makes an argument about how important Sam's words are and have been. What is it? What has it been about Sam's words, about Sam's talk that leads Frodo to say this? And since we get so much of it, and not only in volume, but this particular kind, this last word thing, right? We're, we're getting all of these muttered asides from Sam. It's this very persistent pattern that we're seeing. Where is the pattern pointing? Um, and to merely say it's comic relief or it's funny, it's not that that's untrue, but it's clearly an inadequate description of that pattern, right? There's because he never makes a joke, right? He never, um, he never acts like the comic relief does. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree that soldiers talk like this, Nancy. Uh, and a couple of people have made comments like that. But that also is not to me an explanation, right? Um, maybe so. Why do they? What is the effect? of? It's that itself that I'm trying to understand, if you see what I mean, right? Um it may well be that this is like soldiers, like how soldiers talk to one another. Um, but so what? What does that then show? Um, by looking at the pattern of Sam's comments, then perhaps we can, if the parallel is a true one, uh, help to understand why soldiers talk this way to each other more. It's the same reason why I'm always resistant to an interpretive response that just says, this is a very British thing. Yeah, I know it's very British. Um, but again, that doesn't explain anything. Um, what, I, what I'm trying to understand is why do the British talk that way in the first place, right? Um, the fact that other British people talk like that doesn't explain it. Uh, it just points out that it's not unique, which no one ever thought it was, right? Um, but um, uh, anyway, um, I, I'm... Uh, this is why I'm not content with any of those kinds of parallels or, or like putting it in a category doesn't explain it, right? It just puts it, in, I mean, it puts, just puts it in a category. Um, yeah. And trifle, this is also the other thing that I am looking towards. I think that if we do this, if we continue to look at the pattern of Sam's speech, the way that Sam, not only the way that Sam thinks as evidenced by his talk, but what he says and how he says it, I think this is going to have huge payoff for us later on. First, when we see him grumbling about Gollum, when a third party enters into this whole paradigm and we see him muttering about Smeagol, right? Uh, and Slinker and Stinker, I think that having observed these patterns carefully is going to pay off when we get there. And then Trifle, as you suggest, even more when we see Sam talking to himself, 
when Frodo's not even aware of him, of him and what he's saying anymore. Um, Sam's self-talk in Mordor, having a sort of paradigm for understanding that um, when we get there is, I, I think, is going to pay off um, uh, significantly when we get there. Um, but, um, okay. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Nancy, no, exactly. Uh, yeah, so Nancy says, I'm not knowledgeable enough about military psychology to explain it. I've just been there and seen it and can feel the rightness of Sam's talk. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And that's not the point. The point is not to go in that direction, right? Like, again, uh, I don't want to study soldiers and then bring that to the text. Nor do I want to go and study, like, British culture and bring that to the text. I just want to look at the text, right? I'm, I'm merely explaining why this is how so soldiers talk or this is very British or neither one of those things answers to me at all. They're parallels. They're interesting. I'm not saying they're untrue in any way. I'm just saying they don't explain. Um, they don't illuminate the actual pattern itself. Um, and I think maybe, actually, by trying to illuminate the pattern within the text itself, in Sam's talk itself, um, and this is why I tend to be resistant to, the, to, ju to just accepting those perils, not because I think they're wrong, but because I think that, um, uh, again, it doesn't explain. It helps us to see, perhaps, Tolkien's own thought. Like, how does Tolkien relate to, you know, his British culture? How does he relate uh, to... Uh, the way that soldiers talked. We know from his letters, he was not a fan of how soldiers talked most of the time. Um, but that doesn't mean he has no sympathy with any of it, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Karina is teasing me. Corey, much like Aragorn, isn't disagreeing exactly. Call it British who will. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, yep, yep, agreed. I agree that dark humor is one way people cope with distressing or traumatic circumstances. I am not convinced this is dark humor. I don't, that's, he doesn't make a joke. He's complaining. He's not making a joke. He's just, it's just a disagreement. Shelter? This isn't shelter. That's not funny. I mean, it's endearing, but it's not a joke that he's making. He's, it's not humor. I, I, I don't even agree that it's humor. Um, but, um, yeah, Sam seems to be completely in earnest. Gildala and I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, but uh, anyhow, so we'll, we, will, we will continue to track this. I want to continue to look at this pattern as we move forward. But it's, um, right, snark I could agree with. It is snark. Um, uh, but it's, it's, but it's, not, it's not dark humor. Again, I'm, I don't disagree with dark humor. I don't dislike dark humor. I just don't think this is it. Um, but um, anyway, okay. Um, totally field trip time. It's super late. Uh, got all carried away. I knew this was going to be... I, I actually was like contemplating breaking this up into two slides because it's a lot. Um, uh, but... Um, in the end, I couldn't see any way to get around doing this whole exchange from Boromir's intervention to Sam's muttering at the end. Thanks. This has been a, 
a, a, a, a packed slide here for our 250th session, but we cannot go further tonight. Green Great Dragon, you're absolutely you're absolutely correct about that because it is field trip time. Good evening. Good evening. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you. Like I said, I always know which number it is because I have a child the same age as the cast. <laughs> right. That's right. When was your when was your child born there? Was it how, how close was it to the beginning? Uh, about six months. I think they were six about months. About six old months. Age. They were just starting yeah. to sleep through the night, which is when I could join. Right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> right. About six months. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, I do the, recall a crowd. Yep. Yeah. Uh oh. Okay. All right. I Here accidentally dismissed somebody. Everybody's standing too close together. <laughs> All right. Okay. Sorry. I'm coming back in. We had a lot of people today. Look at all this. Everybody's here for talking day. Yes. That's what I'm we do have a big about. crowd here today. All right, so today we're going to do some overland exploring. Oh, boy. We went into the instance, and we were looking at um, uh, some of the, the cargo and stuff we did see. Um, so the uh, conclusion that I was drawing last time is when we went into the burial grounds there. Um, was that the Angmarim had moved in and had begun renovating what was... We, we saw, in the end, I think we, we were looking at three different architectural layers there. Mm -hmm. We could see the ancient burial ground from the, the old pre-Numenor folks. We then could okay. see some of the, uh, the, the Cardolan constructions, and then we saw some new Angmarim constructions on top of that. So, all right. Yeah. All right. So we're headed off to the. Did you already head out? Uh, no, no. I'm still following. Oh, I'm still getting everybody in here. Still getting everybody in. Okay. All right. I'm going to head over to Gerwin's convoy up in northern right. Cardolan. Okay. If I missed you, feel free to PM me and I will, I will make sure you are added. All right. Okay. So tonight. So we've done Sarkvorn, that's where we were last time. We've done Dol Ernil. So I wanted to just kind of ride across uh, Tirn Gorthad down towards Sarn Ford. Um, I'm a little bit uh -oh. uncertain, like, should we do uh, like a really cross country across the, the you know, Tirn Gorthad there? Uh, sometimes that can be, especially in mountainous terrain like this, that can be kind of frustrating to try to go straight across. Uh, the wilds, or should we just go to Sarnford by road? But that, of course, takes us way around through these other regions, and we won't really have gotten to explore Tirn Gorthod. So, what do you think? Hmm. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> says he thinks it's navigable, so maybe we'll give it a shot. Okay. And there's things to see on the way. Well, uh, yeah. see, I can't imagine there aren't interesting things to see. So I, I was kind of waiting for you to pop that there, <laughs> Good evening. Yes. <laughs> okay, and as always, I'm interested in the mobs. We've got wargs. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and Krabine. Yep. So uh, we've got like spies of the enemy. We've got some boars as well. So we've got uh, you know some. Wildcat. Yeah, we're all in, in the fauna direction. Who's this? A half orc bandit. Okay. N uh, sort of like the Breelands in general. Debris lands and the lone lands. Yep. Yeah, I do. A little see. less yellow than the lone lands. Well, uh, yes. yeah, you can tell they, they, get, they still get some good rain out here and have better irrigation possible. At least it's daytime, so we can actually see things. It's dawn. Yeah, the sky is particularly beautiful this morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the big. Oh, mare's tails and mackerel scales. We're going to ah. get rain soon. Yep, mares tails and mackerel scales make tall ships carry low sails. Is the saying. Well, there you go. Okay, uh, hang on. So not too much here, but we've got. Uh, see now, this. It does. What a strange thing! It couldn't have been a pillar because look at the angle that it's standing out. Like, this looks like a pile of rock. Rock that was preca rather precariously piled up on the slope here. Um, there's no engineering involved here in the sense of like, we didn't make a, you know, dig out the hill slope and make a foundation for this. It's not carefully cut and laid stones. Yeah. It looks like the land has shifted underneath it. Like the soft soil has eroded in the direction the soil is going. As you can tell from the hill here. Possibly, but it was still not, the stone itself is not cut. Um, I don't think. No, that does make it look more like a, a cairn. Of yeah, I mean, it's, mile marker. it's like flat layers, but it's, uh, but that, I mean, that looks like just sort of due to the, you know, the, the, the stone itself, like, you know, like, you know, like shale or something. Could it be like a border marker? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it looks like to me. Something more like, rather than a part of an old structure, I can't imagine that a structure yeah. was built on a pile of rock this precarious, but it's clearly piled up on purpose. So yeah, something like hollow, a boundary it's marker. Like old, it's not like an old chimney. It's just solid rock all the yeah, way down. Yeah, exactly. No, I, 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 I don't see any evidence or any reason to think. That, nor is it a standing stone, right? Or any of those other kinds of structures that we've seen in quite different stone than any of those. Those are almost always in that gray stone that we've seen before. Sure. And look, over like here we got more. Stone doesn't look like it came from here. Yeah, here's another one over here. Almost identical, except flatter. Hmm. And then... Yeah, see, oh, look, no. how, look, how, look how squared I... off these boulders are. Yeah. That's what I mean. It looks like the natural the natural um, sort of crystallization of the stone. Oh, like uh, those uh, rock chimneys you get. Yeah. I mean, like this, it's like take this boulder here. It's I mean, not it's actually chimney, but... <laughs> yeah, it's flat on the one side as if it were cut. But then you look at the rest of it and it's like, no, no, actually it just looks like it broke off that way. Yeah, that's, yeah, the wind, the... Uh, yeah, it looks like like this is just maybe how it forms. Yeah, like and so the, those like the giant stepping stones or the stuff that you get up on the Nazca plains. Right, and so those piles over there 
would seem to be... Oh, what is it? Giant aurochs now we're getting? Ruddy mantled bulls, huh? Okay. Bull cows! Um, anyway, so these piles... And this, I don't, I'm not even convinced. Is this a pile? Or is this just a boulder? Ah. Eh. I think maybe it's just a boulder. Maybe, yeah. Like, the other one definitely seemed more like a pile, but... Yeah, those two that were... The first two that we passed definitely look piled up. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... And that one across like the way. There's a third one over there. I don't... Are we... We're not on some dry riverbed now, are we? I mean, we're... We're near a pretty big sort of... Uh, almost a delta. Yeah, and it's certainly a river... A, you know, a river that's been known for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's like a... But it's quite possible that... With, look, look, I mean, you look at all the little lakes everywhere... Mm -hmm. See, yeah, um, and yeah. how we're heading into the water area, this very much could have been uh, a, dry, a riverbed that ran dry as the river changed course. Yeah, possibly. And that would explain these rocks in weird places carved into weird shapes. Possibly, though I do still think that those three, the one on the one side, then the other on the other side, and then the other on the other side, of the, you know, back on the first side of the road, do look like deliberate piles or markers. Well, but I they don't think. To the side when they paved the road. Yeah, I don't think they have anything to do with the elves, or with Cardolan. Look at that. We are approaching troll country. Gorgeous. Well, you know me. Ruin I think everything's a dry riverbed, like Boromir and Sauron. Okay. I'm so told I'm... that if you go to the top of that tower you see in the distance at sunset, you get a particularly amazing view. Oh, pretty I amazing at it. sunrise too. Yeah, I'm, um, I am resisting the temptation to run right over there. Next to me, next But I am going to resist it, because I want to be thorough and systematic. Oh, yep. hang on, but that thing up there, hang on, can we get up there? Can we get yes, up this again? Okay, because there's something up there. Oh, yeah. I just yeah, saw I did see a thing. something up there when we found the first cairn. Yeah, and it's not the same thing as before, is it? This isn't the same city. It's not. No, we are well south of that. Okay. Oh, oh. and it gets all misty again up here. Yeah, We're getting all down. ghosty again. Oh, there are standing there. stones to our north. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I'm looking south. Oh, yeah, big dead man's fingers. Big old uh -huh. obelisk. It has a name. Oh, huh. Okay, right. So this looks... Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got barrows here. Ah, fine, tingly, dingly. Oh, yeah, we got we got full-fledged barrows going on here. Oh, yep, yep. We have the, the guy holding his hands up like, no, not the face. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, we've seen these guys. We have. This is classic, classic Barrow Downs right here. Classic Barrow Downs. Yeah, you can almost be in the Barrow Downs. You've got the multiple barrows on the hillside and the big standing stones. and Probably still is parts of the Barrow Downs, considering where we are. Right. So why did they build the big tower right in the middle of it? Their city, you mean? Oh, yeah, look at that. 
Or, or the tower that we just almost went into, but then turned away from. No, the we one went we went to last time that had the standing yeah. stone near it, and then all of this stuff was to the north of was was to the south of it. Like apparently, we were inviting trouble at that point. Hubris, hubris. Yeah, my goodness, because this isn't like subtle or anything. No, and no. those huge standing stones will make sure you don't miss it. Yeah, like they either saw it as a challenge or just were like, ha, oh, our ways are even better than these. We have the power of, you know. Good grief. And then there's this. Ugh. Look at that thing. Yeah, like like that just says curse me, guys. Come on, come at me. Throw everything you got at me. <laughs> Give me all the curses. I don't. Either that or they were necromancers. That's the other possibility. Right, that, that that it was an actual advantage, right? Yeah. You've got to stay close to your resources. It's called Calorfell. Yeah. Uh, Calorfell? You know what I'm not seeing? Doors. Those aren't Probably doors. To the Probably southeast. Southeast. Probably all bricked up. Whoa. Whoa. This is huge. Yeah, and very, very wrecked. Oh, look at the oh colonnades. Wow. Wow. I see people on their horses just flying through the air. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's Holy like cow. Right. My goodness. Oh, this place would be so beautiful if it wasn't haunted. Wow. Okay. So here's the inside of that place with no door. Oh, mm -hmm. it's enormous. So tall. Wow. This place is almost as large. Yeah, Arno, I'm trying to figure out what this might have been. It is too small to be a city. Well, the colonnades and the mausoleums... Some of these look like mausoleums here, too. Like yeah, I mean, burial ground would be one... I mean... Like looking at the ghosts, the armor is way too nice to be the art, you know, the ghosts of the original, like Barrow Down spirits, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting half gazebo down in some standing stones with uh, like Stonehenge things down in the valley to the west. Down in the valley to, down the, the, valley west. to the west. Good grief, there's more. This mausoleum <laughs> looks like it got busted out of from the inside. Oh, wow, this. that is a really interesting... That's not even a gazebo, is it? Well, it's like a half gazebo thing. Yeah. Like something sunk way into the ground. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a tower. Or like it was the foundation of a tower. With a yeah. huge door. With the stars above it. 
And the four little anuminous prongs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Little fake anuminous prongs up up the top of the, the gothic arch there. Wow. Crazy. I don't think I've seen an asset like this before in the game either. No, I no. especially look at these square buttresses here. I've never seen these before. Yeah, this game probably doesn't do flying buttresses. It just does buttresses. Yeah, my goodness. Big old thick boys. And then... Whoa. Look at the sea of... Men here, over here. Oh, with the standing yeah. stones in the middle? Yeah, and that is... fire in the middle. That's a big creepy gazebo over there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and then, then a... yeah, they're building their towers and everything right in the middle. It's got like old barrows on every side. Look at these barrows built into the hillside over here. Yeah, it's like these Stone Age men have sent clear warnings saying, do not <laughs> mess with us. <laughs> I mean, and look Luminous at this. just went, yeah, well, we're gonna. Yeah. My goodness. This is the most, like, complete, remarkable stone circle I remember yeah. seeing anywhere in the game. I don't think, yeah, like, this is, this is imposing. A double ring of fully intact standing stones. Yeah. In the center of which are these four spires surrounding this one big central spire. Yeah, think about how many things we've seen that are intact that are not even as old as this. Yeah. I mean, this... Lost it. This just feels like a huge deal. Yeah. And... Oh. Where are we? We're... Uh, I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to keep track of where we are in relationship to Dol Ernil, their city up there. And we're down south of there now. I was getting all disoriented going around the ruins. Am I... Is that Dol Ernil in the distance that I'm seeing? Yes. I think so. Yes, that is. Yeah. Okay. Through the mist... Another but there's what's what is that? Oh, what tower? There's another tower over there. Mm -hmm. Good grief! Um, lots more, more recent ruins all over the place. Whoa! Yeah, I'm just gonna say the dead took this place back, honestly. And here's a lot of wreckage. Yep. Oh. Yep, totally preventable poltergeist in it here. Like, all of these build, like, these mausoleum-looking buildings, they all look like they were all bust out of 
Like, you wonder if their own dead turned on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I'm, I'm serious. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of serious. Right. Or Look how much better like shape the, the old yeah. stones are in than all these newer buildings. Yep, yep. I mean, even even take take this right here, these columns. I doubt those columns were that high when they were built. No. Right. I mean, presumably. Also, look at the moss. There was no moss on any of those uh, uh, of those hinges over there. Yeah, we've got the moss here. They've sunk into the ground, or the ground has shifted and changed around here, but the ground hasn't shifted around these standing stones or barrows. Yes. Well, and Dolores Stroke, I know they don't make them like they used to, but we were always meant to understand that, you know, the, the people descended from Numenor were of a, like higher, greater intelligence of building them. That was the wisdom we lost. The idea that these people who had descended from Numenor learned all their skills and replicated their buildings were then yeah. completely taken down by, you know, the Bronze Age, you know, cave people over here. Right. And like, is, the you know, you can say the land not, is settling or there's not, been, yeah, earthquakes. This doesn't show any sign of earthquakes. No. They were pretty localized earthquakes if they just took that tower out and sunk that little half gazebo into the ground and left this entire structure. Yeah. And uh, the only disturbances we've seen among the old stuff are at the entrances where something nasty is going to pop out and punish you. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. No, I've, I've, there were a couple. There, there was a couple at the entrances with the sort of disturbed ground looking. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is... This is... Wow. A, a dark lesson and don't mess with what you don't understand and don't assume the old ways have died completely. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because, of course, on the one hand, this would seem to... Um, this would seem to answer a question, right? One question has been uh, we we know Cardolan the people of Cardolan took refuge in the Barrow Downs right mm -hmm. why 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 did they go to the burial places why was that you know the I mean obviously they were downs which means they're very tall and uh, with very steep sides and therefore highly defensible um, so when you're under siege as Cardolan was in the end uh, going to a geographical spot like that isn't strange, but we have this association between the car, the you know the Cartilingian folks, and burial spots from the very few things we know about them. Uh, we're told oh, yeah. about them in the Lord of the Rings and in the appendices. And so here, what we see is get all their relics Yeah, what what we see here is like their whole um, their whole civilization is built in the midst of this burial ground. And it really is pretty much the same burial ground that extends Sark Vorn is kind of like a neck, right, between these heights and the Barrow Downs to the north. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're all, they're all in the same kind of stretch here. 
So the ancient peoples built all of their barrows up here, both here in the south and up in the Barrow Downs in the north. And the people of Cardolan just seem to have um, moved in. Yeah. You know, came down and said, okay, these heights, both north and south, these heights uh, are advantageous. We're just going to live here. Despite the fact that the entire place is an ancient burial ground. And we're just going to move in amongst what? the tombs. So wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's puzzling. It, it makes you wonder more about the motives, frankly. Yeah, and it could have been worse. I mean, like, the fact that this is still standing, like, they didn't level this. You know, they could have leveled this and been like, oh, you know, that nice little hill uh, in the middle of the valley there? Like, uh, let's take away those unsightly standing stones and henges and, like, build a nice little gazebo there, right? You know, you... was under the buildings, though. They might have leveled some stuff to get their buildings there. It's possible. But they didn't level this one, right? Or take out the other barrows. I mean, like, most of the... Oh, well, okay. The barrows that we still see are, by definition, the ones that were undisturbed. But, um... Uh, well, uh, again, that's sort of uh, survivorship bias there. Yeah, where I know, like, I know, I know. But it's, um, it's possible they couldn't level these because the crews they sent out to destroy them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's uh, it's very. It is a very interesting dynamic between not just the Numenorians of Cardolan who come down here and the older civilization that was here in advance, but specifically their dead, specifically their burial, their burial places. Mm-hmm. And I like your idea that the first place we were riding through, the big ruin that is sort of south... Uh, in the east of us here, Kalarfell and those um, might itself have been the Cardolan burial place. And we know from the Lord of the Rings that the people of Cardolan did actually use the barrows themselves to bury their princes in. Um, yeah, they became the sort of Egyptian death obsessed cult. Yeah. I mean, Instead, so like, there are two options, both of which could potentially be true, right? One is that they moved in flagrantly disregarding, um, you know, with a, an active disrespect for the previous cultures that were living here. But it's also yeah. possible that they moved in and adopted a reverence for even kind of like uh, um, affiliating themselves. Like, and we're going to use their barrows. And that is something Tolkien w- would have uh, punished in his narrative goodness, is that when the, when, the new, when the enlightened folk start to adopt the old superstitions is when they fall. Yeah, I don't think it's a good... I don't think either one of those options is really a great look oh. for the people of Cardolan. And we can see it didn't end well either way. Right. Yes, as the people of Cardolan were the first up against the wall when the revolution came. Um, and we have reasons, as we say, to um, 
even see down here the mere fact that the newer and Numenorian, as you say, which is important. And it is true that normally older stuff is better and stronger in in Middle-earth. But you're right, not when it comes to Numenorians. Um, there we get things like Orthanc and the walls of Minas Tirith, which seem almost magical in their superiority to more modern architecture. And there's no reason to think that there wouldn't be at least a memory of that here. But to find the Cardo the Cardoan structures in such disarray. Um, especially while the uh, you know the hinges and standing stones are all in such good condition here. Well, yeah, is really interesting. Okay, and that brings well, up a third theory. Well, this and that connects to your second theory. Maybe these are new structures that were put up mm -hmm. in imitation of the old. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we're uh, so so. You're suggesting maybe. There was a, like, if you can't beat them, join them kind of uh, uh, development? Well, definitely, like I said, returning to the old ways and the old superstitions. So they start to mimic the old burial styles and everything. Make everything yeah. back to these spirits that, you know, most likely were trying to take advantage of them. Yeah, possibly. Man, well, you know, when we saw those, like few men here up on the fringes of uh, Dol Ernil earlier on. I had no idea it was quite, no there was quite this size of an iceberg, and, you know, behind that. Oh, man. It was amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we should go. It's super late, but because um, I, we didn't start until super late. But what an eye-opening field trip this has been. So maybe we can kind of ride through, make sure we we'll kind of get a feel for this a little bit more, maybe. See what we think on a second trip through Tyrion Gorthod here. And then we'll head down towards Sarnford. Um, I would kind of like to get over to the Withywindle and take the Withywindle down. Um, it would be interesting. Someone was suggesting we start at Tom Bombadil's house and just follow the Withywindel down to the Brandywine, which is a little bit of an attractive idea, actually. I've always wanted to follow the Withywindel. Yes, me too. Um, and now you can. And now we can. So that would be kind of fun. Um, yeah, maybe we do that. Maybe we do that next time. We'll go. go we'll we'll explore the old forest side, and go down the Withywindel. Um, it'll be just like Bombadil Goes Boating. We could have a dramatic reading of Bombadil Goes Boating while we go down the Withy Window. Um, Favorite! I always had to tell stories about Tom Bombadil and, and Farmer Maggot along the river. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so we... Um, maybe we do that next time, and then we can we can take another tour through Tyr and Gorthod as we're going overland here in... Uh, moving down into what is ruddy moor here. Um, yeah, I'm just doing a little scouting. They're, it's mostly wide open land down here, so we, yeah. we did the bulk of things today. Okay, cool. Awesome. Neat. Well, this was quite a discovery. So let's, um, so uh, we'll do, we'll do the old forest next time. Um, and um, 
uh, and that'll be that'll be good fun. Thanks everybody for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks everybody. Bye.